the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Andrew will be back here with us just in a couple days as we get ready to get the outfield preview, but this is just an extra podcast I wanted to work in and talk about auctions. It's a passion of mine. Lucas is very had a lot of success with it last year, and he loves auctions too, and I thought just be fun to get another voice in here to talk about that talk about some players and yeah all that good stuff so hope you enjoy all right so Andrew is on vacation, like I said in the open, and our guest today is the overall winner of the NFBC 2023 auction. He recently joined FTN FTN Fantasy as a lead baseball analyst. He's the co-owner, or I'm sorry, he's the owner of DC Dynasty. I've had him on before. Happy to have him on again, Lucas Beery. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, I feel like we're getting close to spring training and having some some actionable news notes that we can uh, make decisions over and just really excited for the MLB season to start. Man, yeah, as I mean, as we're recording this, we're less than a week from the Super Bowl and it seems like when that happens, a lot mm-hmm. of people that's when their minds start shifting. Good point. And yeah, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Ever since I set this league up, the plan's been to get you on this show as you had such a huge achievement last year winning the NFBC overall in the auction. So I'm really glad we are able to get you on for this one specifically because we're going to be touching on the auction draft and hold we just finished. I guess that's been a week or two now. But anyways, um, going into this, I mean, you've got experience. When you won the NFBC auction, that was a 15-teamer, right? Yes, 15-team league. But it was 30-man roster, right? Where, yes. And it, with transactions. And no uh, injured spots. That's right, that too. So um, did you feel like going into this, did you think you were going to have a similar plan of attack or did because it was a draft and hold auction? Which, just to explain, I guess I should explain what we did here. I came up with this idea. I honestly thought I came up with it myself, but I have heard there are leagues out there that are like it where you do an auction for 23 rounds for all 23 roster spots. You have to have a legal lineup at the end of the 23. And then after that, we got all our rosters uploaded into fan tracks. And then we did a 27 round slow draft and hold. So it's a little different. Like actually in your auction, I'm assuming there, the bench slots are still dollar players, right? No, it's $260 spread across 14 active hitters and nine pitchers. So, okay. And then you do and you do a snake draft for the final seven players. Like this, except with this one, you do a 27 round. So yes. did you have a different plan of attack at all, knowing that? Yeah, I had a very different plan of attack. In the online auction, or if we were doing the auction league that we did years ago, Mm-hmm. I'm much more comfortable with $1 players because I can replace those guys and I can burn and churn a little bit off the waiver wire versus in this league, a $1 or $2 player. Um, it's just not going to be projected for as much playing time. Mm-hmm. And in a DC, I, I need to get the at-bats, especially in a weekly DC where you're, a platoon player is going to be um, a little bit more dinged compared to NFBC where you can make changes 
Monday through Thursday and Friday through Sunday based on pitching matchups. Yeah, and we'll be talking about that as we go, but you only had two $1 players, so I guess you set out pretty well on that. Okay, so as we're getting this started in those first couple days of the auction, were you noticing any big differences between the first few days of this auction and like when you were just getting started on that NFBC one? That was a fast auction, correct? Yeah, it's a fast auction. Once a player gets put up, I think they have like eight to maybe 10 seconds or so until um, they go. And if someone puts a dollar or raises the price, I want to say an extra five seconds or so gets added on. Man, that's suspenseful. <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay, so the elite guys. What was what was the difference in the elite guys in this early part of this auction compared to the auction, like the NFBC draft champions one? Um, I want to say in this auction, the elite guys went for, for value and then some, they might've been a little bit pricey. Um, so yeah, I think the elite guys went, went for, for fairly close to full freight, if not absolute full freight. Yeah. I, I haven't played in a draft champions auction, but just seeing where the elite guys were going compared to like. Looking, if you're looking at an auction calculator, it really yeah. like it seemed like they were all going significantly like three to five dollars higher, almost almost all of them. In the early I, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't think that the auction calculator matches up very well to the real the real prices in this league. Mm-hmm. Correct. But on the same note, it's like, do you just join? Like the question you got to ask yourself when you're doing one of these is, do you just join in and be like, well, everybody else is doing it. Or do you just wait and get value, but also be at risk of getting left behind? And that's, or like, I'm sorry, not left behind, but ending the draft with possibly having dollars left over. And that was something I was, um, a fear of mine. Cause I, I chose to wait and I was mm-hmm. like one of the guys that had a lot of money through in the early to like in the mid part of the auction. So yeah, it's just one of those things to, that I was, t- t- um, toying with anyways yeah i think i think to kind of go along with what you were saying there uh, because i noticed that the the players at the top of the draft the first second round players they were going for what i thought was a, a little bit of a premium my my goal was to hopefully get one of those players just so i could spend my money on a surefire star player mm-hmm. but just spend the least extra so i just wanted to overpay by the least amount and you did end up with one of those elite guys. You had five early gets in this auction. I've got them listed off here as JT Real Muto. You got for twenty bucks. Aaron Nola for twenty six. Jose Ramirez is the one I was meaning. You got him for thirty nine dollars. He felt like he was on there for a while too. Like yeah. what wasn't he on there for almost like a day and a half? Yeah, because the website went down and we paused it, so it felt like even longer. <laughs> Maybe that was part of it. Uh, George Kirby for $28 and Edwin Diaz for 24 So my first question for you, were any of these guys like specific targets of yours going in or is it just how the auction fell? Um, I would say a little bit of both. Um, I, I really like all these players for this year. I'm high on each of them, but also just like the way the auction fell. Edwin Diaz for $24. That's not going to look like a value per se when you look at what some of the other closers went. But he was the first closer off the board, and sometimes when you get the first big guy off the board, whether it's the first 
uh, SP, the first ace, or if it's the first closer. Sometimes that player can be a slight overpay, or sometimes he can be a slight value. Mm-hmm. And you know, just getting a guy that can be a 100 strikeout closer. I mean, I'll spend an extra two, three bucks and just guaranteed get him. And I also thought Justin that in a DC auction, I thought saves would be more cost prohibitive. And that didn't turn out to be the case. So I think that's why he went for three or four more bucks than the top closers. Yeah, it, it, it was. It, you're right about the fact that it was only two or three bucks more. Like with the closers, the top tier ones, it's like it's Diaz, Devin Williams, Hader, Classe, and Doval. They kind of seem to be the top guys mm-hmm. and the top five. And all of them, like looking at their ADP, they're all ten to fifteen picks apart. But you know, for the most part, they were all right there. Just like. Diaz was 24, Devin went 23, Hader was 22, Classe was 21. Doval was the one that ended up being the cheapest at $19. But, yeah, they were all kind of up there. But you're, I think you brought a good point. You just make sure you get yours and you don't know what the market's going to be like behind. Because you're right. Yeah. I, I've seen it go both ways. It's – I just – the biggest thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want to – I didn't want to not have a – good closer or, or two that I liked a lot. That security is important to me. Yeah. Um, top five catcher in real Muto. I think you did real well there. Um, you know, obviously that gives you a nice advantage in stolen bases too, right there. And then Nolan Kirby give you a solid one, two punch for $50 there. So I thought, I thought that's a good one, two combo there. So with these five guys in, I guess that puts you at about 46, 76, 85, 113, 137. So it's right about half of your money, but you got five really good players there. How are you feeling at this point? Yeah, so for the offensive players, um, in a league like this, I thought getting steals put into your lineup from catcher and from a corner infield spot with third base, I thought that was worth a lot. And... As far as the pitching, getting that elite closer, um, I thought that was worth it. And I thought they, like I said, I thought elite closers would go higher since there's no fab additions. Um, so that's why I paid the premium for Edwin Diaz. And then with Kirby and Nola, just the guaranteed whip of Kirby, mm-hmm. I thought it was worth it, even though the strikeouts are going to be less than other aces. And then I thought with Nola's vol- volume that he gives you and, you know, batted ball luck sometimes it can make his era look poor but he's a, i thought he had kind of paired well with kirby since he is a a volume horse yeah for sure so yeah very good start there i went a different route with the early part like in terms of i was the one that went the extreme of just letting him go and i yeah. did not know what this was going to look like as i did it but um my first guy was adley and he was my only day, that guy I took in day one. He, I think I got him for what twenty six dollars. Twenty six, which I thought was actually a good value. Well, on the, you know, looking at the Fantrax auction calculator and OBP, which I really wanted to get one of those elite catchers, just because yes. of that OBP that they provide is such a big jump from even what the like second and third tier guys get. And Adley, you know, he's. Like he's projected, if you look at steamer projections on the like fan graphs, to be like a $29 player. And I wasn't like in on him early on, and he was at 19 bucks sitting there for a bit. And I was like, wait a minute, what this is one to jump on. And I put it, I, I set it up to like 30 bucks and only got to 26. So I was happy to get him. But then I sat there for a while. I only like he was my 
like 62 players were off the board and Adley was my only one I took. <laughs> and the next two guys I took were a total of $15 in Cutter Crawford and Wyatt Langford. So while other guys had spent like 150 bucks, I was spitting, sitting on a grand total of 41 so far. <laughs> so definitely a different route than almost everybody else. So after you got your first guys, you went quiet for a while. I think 60 or so players went off before you won your next guy. Were you just waiting waiting out money getting spent by others? That's exactly correct. By people like me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was just kind of looking at the board and, you know, I'd throw a dollar here, a dollar there just to kind of fluff up the price. And I would only do that if I was comfortable with winning that player for that price since i think price enforcing is is a horrible idea it's a good conversation right here on that yeah no no matter what league you're in there will be four or five six seven eight plus values and there's nothing you can do about it you just have to focus on your roster make sure it fits together make sure you buy all the statistics and the player profiles that you need and you know values are going to happen and don't worry about trying to prevent them because they're going to be happening no matter what. You don't need to risk tying up your budget on a guy you don't really want. Have you always been that way with auctions or is that something that's changed over time? That's only set in place into my mind in the last, you know, two, three years, maybe. It's because at first I was like, well, he doesn't deserve this guy. He's only six bucks. That should be at least an eight dollar player. And then you have a seven dollar player and you don't actually need that fourth outfielder. And you're like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have done that. It actually made me think of a football auction you and I were in three or four years ago, hence why I asked. I had Ezekiel Elliott, and that was the year that he was projected to possibly like get suspended mm-hmm. that year. And I put Darren McFadden, I think he was the backup. I don't remember if that was the name. But there were like there was a ba- like the backup and I basically sit, put it out there in the chat. I'm like, I've got a McFadden bid out there. If you top it, he's I ain't I ain't topping it. And you were the one that came in and I didn't know if it was because I don't remember if I ever asked you at the time if you truly wanted him or were just bidding him up playing the game of chicken that day. <laughs> but <laughs> it's been a few years. Um I'm with you. I've I've always believed in I I just don't like I don't want to bid on somebody unless I'm comfortable having them at that price. Mm-hmm. I just it's not my thing. But some guys like to play that game, and it does it can work out. You can get, you know, you're getting money off the board if you as long as you don't go over the top there. So, okay, the guys I like during that stretch while you were doing that, I decided to jump in. That's where I started getting active. I took Pablo Lopez for twenty five. Uh, Springer for George Springer for 18. I forgot to mention this is an on base percentage league. Everything else is standard, but it's OBP instead of batting average. That that was why I thought Adley at 26 was such a, a nice buy. I just wanted to say that because you mentioned the OBP piece. Mm-hmm. That's right. I did say that already. Uh, David Bedner at $17, uh, Manny Machado at 19, and then Luis Arias at $7. At that point, um, you know, I want to ask you about Bedner. Like, they just signed to roll this Chapman. If you do, you have Bedner in any leagues right now? Yeah, I have him in several leagues. How worried are you about the fact that they brought Chapman in? I'm not very worried at all. Bednar has been an elite closer for several years, and he's a hometown guy. He's he's one of the faces of the franchise. And is it possible that Roldis gets, you know, five to ten saves? Maybe, but. I think Bednar has proven that he's a better pitcher at this point in time. And 
in the hierarchy of the team. I think he's going to be their closer. I agree with you. I just wanted to hear. I haven't really asked anybody else that yet, so I wanted to hear somebody else's take <laughs> on that because yeah. I didn't know Bednar was a homegrown, like, local. He's he's from the area? Like, he grew yeah, up there? Yeah, he, he's from the area. Oh, that's nice. Man, it's going to stink when they trade him in about a year then. <laughs> well, that's why I don't think they're in a rush to trade him. And But, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so and he's not a free agent for several more years. Which means they're a year away from trading him because they trade him a couple years before to get max value. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be a he'll be a free agent in twenty twenty seven, so he's still got a good bit of team control. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably got so. he's probably got another year or two there, I would say. Uh phase two of your draft. You finally get back in it and you take Brian Reynolds at twenty dollars and O'Neill Cruz at eighteen dollars. Do you want to touch on either of these two guys specifically? I mean, Cruz is a guy that gets a wide range of opinions. Yeah, so Brian Reynolds, he'll be the easiest one. Um, he's one of the most consistent players as far as high volume. He's going to help you out with good, potentially 25 home runs, 10 plus steals with decent counting stats and an on-base percentage. He gets a little bit of a bump. So I thought he was a, a very just solid, safe, steady player that I love. And then with O'Neill Cruz, he's a guy where um, I just think his upside is through the roof and I think his floor is not as bad as some people might think because he is going to run into plenty of home runs given his elite power. And we have not seen him yet in the new rules uh, as far as stolen bases. So he's a player where I think where he's going in redrafts, he could be bumped up a round or two. And I think there's still profit potential on that bump. Uh, Yeah. Andrew and I did our shortstop preview, I guess, a week or two ago. And we were talking about that. The, we haven't seen him running under the new rules yet. Yes. I think that's a very good point. That. Well, I stole it from you, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> you and Andrew, so yeah. Well, good. I yeah, we're we like the price. I mean, him versus Ellie De La Cruz is a good argument for waiting on a guy like Ellie and trying to get an O'Neill Cruz instead. So, mm-hmm. I like him. So those were the last two guys you spent more than $11 on. At that point, I guess you're at one, let's see, I think I said 137 so you're about 175 So, yeah, you you went pretty conservative from here on out. And I do want to give you credit. I meant to bring that up earlier when we were talking because I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make in auctions, especially in an auction like this, is you spend the wave getting the superstars, spend about half your budget, maybe a little more. And then it takes a lot of discipline to be able to stop and wait because to avoid having half your team be dollar players. And I thought you did a really good job at that. Is just wanted to bring that up. Um, let's see a few double digit dollar guys. I bought in this range, Christian Walker for 16, Gabriel Moreno for 10. I, again, I was chasing the OBP there. Uh, Andres Munoz for 16 and Max Freed for $16. So at this point, I've got a Pablo Lopez, Max Freed one, two combo. And I've got my two closers that I spent about 33 for, which is fun. It's interesting. Cause I think we'll get to your second closer in a bit, but we pretty much spent the same amount on two closers just in a, you got the top guy. I got, you know, second, third tier guys, and then you got a good value on yours that we'll get to in a second. So that's where I was on mine. And then I think I'd circle back to your two that you spent like $10 more or more on. And that would be Ryan Helsley 
which I think personally was one of the best bargains in, for a closer in the draft. You got him for 10 bucks, and then Joe Musgrove for 11 So what do you want to mention on those two guys? Yeah, I think I think with Helsley, he's a guy that, that definitely worries me. Uh, his velocity is a huge risk factor, but he also regained it after he came back from injury. And mm-hmm. because he's my second closer, I'm okay going that risk. If he was my first closer, I wouldn't have been okay with it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as Musgrove, um, he's just a, a really solid pitcher. He had uh, injuries last year that derailed his season starting from the beginning, dropping a, a weight on his foot and then had an elbow issue and a shoulder issue. And, you know, I'm hoping that he's healthy. I'm willing to gamble that he's healthy for 11 bucks. And if he shows that he's healthy in spring training, I think he should be moved up a few rounds in redraft leagues. You and I were talking before we got started recording. Actually, we talked for a good hour and a half before we started recording, but we were talking about pitchers and coming up and what kinds we like and don't like. And Joe Musgrove is the type of guy that I like to get that's on yes. the rise in terms of the guys that are really good control guys that can, you know, they may not be have the elite strikeout potential that some of the some of the superstar pitchers have, but I just, I don't know. I, I tend to like the guys like that. I like Musgrove. Me too. Uh, I only had two di- remaining double-digit buys. I got Reese Hoskins to fill a corner spot, who's now at the Brewers. I, oh, that looks like a perfect pick. <laughs> man, I love, I, like, the moment I heard he signed there, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I just love Miller Field. Miller for a, I mean, he was playing in Philly, which is also a good hitter's park to hit in, but Miller is another good one, so it's at least not a step back. And then I spent $12 on Evan Carter, and I will be the first to admit that I got in a little bit of a, um, um, you could say a pissing contest with Ambrose as I had a little f- <laughs> with a few bucks on him. That was an overspend, That, but you know I had underspent the whole draft, and this is the mistake you can make. If you end up with too much, too much, too many dollars, is you could end up overspending on a guy that, if you and one other guy are having the money, and I made the mistake there. It's OBP. I still regret. I regret that one, but I like Evan Carter. What are your thoughts on Carter? Because he does have a wide range of people like opinions. Yeah, as far as like looking at his redraft stock, he kind of goes sometimes in the top 150 sometimes top 125 and Mm -hmm. for me that's just too much of a payment but i don't think he's going to disappoint you as far as probably 15-ish home runs maybe 17 to 20 steals and an on-base percentage he's going to play up far more um so i think he's i think he's a nice solid little player but his price is quite high right now so i haven't invested in him for redrafts this is the only one i've taken him in and I think I did because it's on base and where it was. But honestly, I think I, I spent too much. I'll be the first to admit it. Um. So, yeah, let's see. I think we talked about you, like I'm looking at my notes. We've already talked about you only having $2 players. So I guess I'll move past that and actually just look at your team as a whole here. Um. I'll just kind of run your catchers. You ended up, you've already, we already talked about real Muto and then you got Oh Hoppy for $6. I think that's a solid second catcher to pair with real Muto. I love Oh Hoppy and I love that price there. Anything that you want to say anything on Oh Hoppy? Yeah, I think with Oh Hoppy, I was a little worried about his shoulder injury because that is a, an injury that requires a huge range of motion. And that's why it can be so complicated for players to come back. But 
when he came back, he played almost every day down the stretch, mm-hmm. DHing a bunch. And the good thing about a disastrous team like the Angels is they're going to have plate appearances to divvy out, and Ohapi's going to be getting quite a few of them. So that's going to be a value in itself. That was a guy that last year, I think I did three redraft leagues, and I think I might have gotten him in at least two, if not all three. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand why his price looking at him was as cheap as it was because he was like a 15th, 16th round pick. And, you know, it looked great there for the first month until he got had that injury. But, yeah, I like him. All right. Um, your infielders, the Josh Naylor, you have a first base. Tyro Estrada at second. You got Jose Ramirez, who um, I should say, Naylor you got for $9. Tyro Estrada for 6 Jose Ramirez we've talked about. O'Neal Cruz at short. You got Ezekiel Tovar for $2. And Candelario for four. Andrew and I were again talking about him and really liking that price. That like we're we're liking him this year. So yeah, Naylor, Estrada, Tovar, Candelario. Again, you're doing a good job of avoiding having to get the bottom of the barrel guys. Just getting some solid guys in there. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned that I spent a lot early and then waited, and that was kind of one of the big reasons. Is you know I think when you're in an auction league, obviously if you if you wait too long you don't want your best player being like a Reese Hoskins to use an example off your team. And you didn't do that, but I've seen plenty of auctions where people wait too long and their best players like a 12th round pick, you know, but I think holding off in the middle of the auction to allow other people to drain out their money, then you have the ability to say two or $3 or $4 on the players you value the highest. So having like that mini hammer in the, in the middle of the auction is something I always try to do. Yeah. It's a Kando who, we've played in auction leagues i've i know i think you and i i started playing in auction leagues together in 2017 and he's always been in that league with us we've always done auctions with him and he's always been a stars and scrubs guy always and and, but the same note is he does just that he always has the patience to basically make those early picks and then just disappear for a few days basically disappears yeah he does and yeah that's the way you got to do it uh i've already talked about my catchers adley and moreno my infield, Christian Walker, Luis Arise, Machado. I've already mentioned those guys. I took Dansby Swanson for nine bucks. That was my. That was a great value. I yeah, I really like Dansby this year. We talked about that on the shortstop pod, but you know, I think I heard who was it on the Roto. I think it was the RotoWire podcast this off season. I heard. Uh, Sarah Sanchez. That's it. Thank you. I was like, I was thinking the S's, but I could not remember. She talked about how he might not have run. Like she suspects that he didn't run much last year because of an injury. And if he can pick up the stolen bases a lot, like, and have a healthy year, then yeah, I like him. Andre. Yeah. I I think she was talking about like his heel contusion because in 2022, he had 18 steals Mm -hmm. in 2021. He had nine steals. And then last year, with the new rules, he only had nine steals again. So if you think that this guy's fully healthy, he could easily be a 15-plus kind of steals guy. Yep. In addition to the compiler, just there every day kind of statistical base. Yep. Andres Jimenez for 7 bucks. I was happy to get him at that. Actually, I was, like it surprised me when I got him. It made me regret getting Arias early, Luis Arias, <laughs> because I'm like, man, I spent the same amount on Andres Jimenez as I did Arias. And then Reese Hoskins. So that's how I rounded out my infield. So we'll get circle back to your outfielders. Um, this is where you definitely like the value game. Where, where for you, you had Brian Reynolds, 
You got Brandon Nimmo for eight bucks. He's so good in on base. Riley Green, another great on base guy for nine bucks. Matt Walner for a dollar. Um, Andrew and I will be talking about him soon on the Outfield Podcasts. We both are really big fans of him. Taylor Ward for a dollar. And then just throwing in your utility here too, Eugenio Suarez for two bucks. So why don't you tell me your thoughts on those guys? Yeah, really, as you can see, and and I hate to just repeat the same stuff, but on the uh, on the recap of the draft and hold we did, it was just looking for volume players, guys that are hopefully not going to be platooned outside of Walner, looking for guys that will be high in the lineup and hopefully don't have holes to lose their, their job. Um, like sometimes young guys just may not have that, that grip on the job that, that you might want. So um, really just looking for the, the boring volume compilers and even more so because this is a DC. If it was a fab league, I might be a little bit more okay going a little bit more risky, but I was really just looking for solid skill sets uh, and good plate appearances. And on base. That's the thing. Yes. When I look at your outfield, like when I get to your catchers, Real Muto and Hoppy, like Real Muto's OBP slipped last year. It and did. Oh, Hoppy, you know, sub 300. And you got some infielders like Tyro Estrada's not a big walker. O'Neill Cruz could have pressure on it. Tovar is rough. But you, <laughs> you, with your outfield, you grabbed a lot of OBP that makes up for it right there. With like, uh, there's not a weakness on those guys amongst those guys. Like each one of those guys could have a 330 to, you know, some of those guys could push up to 370, 380. Nemo might even be high. Like, yeah, I think that's about where he is without looking. So yeah, a lot of a lot of players I like too. Like Eugenio Suarez, I've talked about him a lot and terms of him going into a better park that helping him too so yeah i was i was looking at eugenio and matt chapman and i was just kind of thinking okay who am i going to put the two bucks on and that's the fun part about these auctions whenever you save a little bit of money you can kind of have more choices versus if you've blown through your budget you're just putting up a dollar guy hoping someone doesn't say two and maybe you squeak them through maybe you don't what's funny you say that Andrew and I, we haven't put out, like when we're recording this, we haven't put out part two of the third base podcast, but I, we did a him or him for, for Eugenio versus Matt Chapman. He took Chapman and I took Eugenio in terms of <laughs> our opinions on it. So I think he took the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the interesting part. I, I can see good merit to both, but you know we've played this game long enough. We're not really all that surprised by anything because the range of outcomes for these players is crazy. We're just trying to make our best bets. Yep. So then we got a, my outfield. I had Springer and Evan Carter and Lankford. We've already talked about those. My last two guys were Pete Crow Armstrong and Tommy Pham, some power speed guys out of both. And then I took Eloy Jimenez for five bucks. That was one I sure wasn't expecting at the end, but I'm like, okay, I'll take him for that price. So um, yeah, PCA, you're a Cubs fan. What are your thoughts on PCA this year? Yeah, again, going back to the wide range of outcomes, I think he's one of those players where we see with with minor league prospects like a Jet Williams, they can just develop overnight, basically. So you can't rule that out for PCA. Uh, he could get a lot better all of a sudden. But I think that his bat is, is, is behind his glove by a significant amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, not a big redraft kind of guy, but, you know, he definitely could pop. It's just um, I think his bat might take a year or two to develop. So that's kind of where I'm at with him now. 
Andrew would disagree with you. <laughs> I'm kind of in between. Like, I, I don't really have a strong opinion on him either way. I thought I'll get a share here. But um, he's one of those. We'll get to when we get to the reserve rounds. I actually will circle back on him. Um, yeah. I, yeah, definitely. He could he could absolutely pop. It's just I've seen enough high strikeouts to just kind of not be as aggressive on him. But I do have a share of him. Uh, got him, I think, around like the 25th, 26th round. So a little bit cheaper than what he goes sometimes. But, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Let's talk about your pitchers. You got Nola, Kirby, Musgrove. And then you also had your um, who we've who we've talked about, and then you you got your closers, who I didn't even list off here. But after all of those guys, your rotation st- um, rounds out with Chris Bassett for seven bucks, Nick Pavetta for two bucks. I took him in my first draft and hold, Jose Alvarado for four bucks, and Emmett Sheehan for two. So I was I, I like it. looking at your roster. I was like, oh, you took a third reliever, reliever who's slated to be a closer. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, again, this kind of goes back to the uh, fact that it's a draft and hold. Um, just trying to get more shots on the goal with uh, saves in case Helsley's arm blows out. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the big reasons for Alvarado. Plus, I can find pitchers late, but sometimes just getting that saves is, is useful. And um, if Alvarado can even give me 10, 15 saves, I can use them most of the time, and uh, that'll be nice to kind of tack on some saves from time to time with Alvarado. We got a philosophical like strategy question for you here. So let's say you're starting the year and you got Helsley and Alvarado, and they're both closing. Are you just like you might fall behind in K's playing three relievers? But would you just go on and do it just so you could get yourself some saves built up, just in case if one of the two is not closing in the midway part of the year, you've at least got a cushion built in. Yes, you can always I would absolutely. bounce back up with strikeouts. Yes, that's exactly what I would do. Just because a guy can get injured, a guy can get traded, you know, a guy can be demoted out of the role. Always get the saves while the getting's good because you never know when they could lose their role. Yeah, and if you've got enough of a cushion built up, then you can always take him out and bench him halfway through the year. This is just a realization I've had yes. in the last few years. So yeah, I had that. I had that feeling because I had a Rizal Iglesias, and he got traded from the Angels to the Braves a few years ago, and all his saves for the most part went away. I think he might've gotten one or two, but it was just, if you've got a guy that's potentially going to get a save or two, just put him in there and try to get it. If, if you don't have a better knife pitcher, uh, my pitching staff, I've already mentioned Pablo Lopez, freed Crawford, cutter Crawford. And then I had Bedner and Munoz. I closed out with Nate Ivaldi, you Darvish, Shoto Imanaga and Bailey Ober. You know, I actually will talk about one of my regrets. I filled up my roster with these arms, and I like the arms. Like at the prices, they've all got, you know, they, you know, there's there there's upside in them. There's some risk also in Darvish, obviously with the health. We don't know where he's at, but one thing I regretted was I filled it up, and Gavin Williams hadn't been out there yet, and I knew he hadn't been out there yet, and was thinking I wanted to grab him, and I regretted filling up my roster bidding on these guys and get missing out on somebody who I probably would have rather spent the money on. But um, anyways, what are your thoughts on like Shoto Imanaga? He's gone to your Cubs and then Darvish has got the elbow. Like what are your thoughts on them for redraft right now? Cause there's some risk with both of them. Yeah. Yeah. There is a little bit of risk. Um, you Darvish has had the same uh, injury in 2018 and he came back the next year. 
uh, and he did pretty well. So interestingly enough, he's dealt with the same issue. Interesting. Now that doesn't now that doesn't guarantee that he'll be okay because he's now age thirty seven. Um, but a, an old veteran, old head, he knows his body pretty well. They didn't repair the injury surgically unless they report that come spring training. We saw that with Tommy Edmond, where they reported the surgery mm-hmm. months after it had happened. Um, so Darvish, I think, is a guy where spring training, similar to Musgrove, will determine um, his value to a degree. But you Darvish always gets strikeouts. I think he's a nice pitcher for the price. And with Imanaga, I don't know a whole lot as far as what to expect. But his, his fastball shape, from what I've heard, is a very... Uh, prize commodity and he has the ability to skyrocket as far as just like an sp3 um you know a nice strikeout per inning with these at ratios as an sp3 i think imanaga could easily do that and i think the price you got him for was was more than fair in a dc where you're looking for arms of quality that have upside i really wanted to make sure with this that i did not have any one two dollar arms that like yes. i've feel like I always hate my last couple starters in these, and I really <laughs> felt like I wanted to try to spread the pitching out a little more and have mm-hmm. a few less, you know, $10 plus guys, but just have a back of a rotation I could stomach. Imanaga, like Nick Pollock, I just heard, I was just listening to him talk on a podcast about really liking his fastball. It made me feel a little better because I hadn't heard that yet. Yep. So, anyways. How are you feeling about your team looking at it? Where do you feel strong? Where do you feel weak? Um, what category, like, and what what were you thinking maybe? Ne- Actually, we'll get to that part in a bit. What were you thinking about your team at this point? So I'm curious to hear if you have a similar opinion, but coming out of the auction, I felt very satisfied with it. I mean, I felt like I could have done things differently. And I think paying the 26 for Nola, paying the 28 for Kirby, it was a couple bucks high, I thought, but that's that was the room. The room was high to start mm-hmm. out. It was a very hot room to begin with, but outside of that, um, I thought I did decent. And then come the reserve rounds, um, in the first you know four or five picks, I'm curious if you agree. I just felt like I had issues that I needed to fix on the team, and I didn't have enough picks to fix all those issues. So, yeah, just trying to shore up that depth was uh, a taxing problem, I guess. Where did you, like, you didn't think you had the depth coming out of that? Uh, just for the bench depth, you know. Um, just trying to just trying to get as much depth as I could. It was one of those things where I just kind of tried to put a lot of pressure on myself to get that depth, and it was, a, it was tricky at times. Yeah, you definitely attacked bats, and we'll get to that in, like, yeah. Actually, we'll just go on and go into it. And I thought you did a good job in terms of covering your positions. You did a good job covering it. Let's see. I want to circle back to your major league team. So, so to give you an example to expand on my thing, um, I wanted to get another um, infield eligible player that I felt okay about, mm-hmm. and that that pool had dried up pretty well. So I kind of forced it, in my opinion, a little bit and grabbed uh, Ahmed Rosario, who's not very good in on base percentage. No. And he doesn't have a job. So, like, you see what I mean? There was just some issues with trying to fill out the, f- the first handful of picks in the reserve rounds. I would have felt better with an Austin Hayes, who has pretty good playing time outlook. And I really wanted Seth Lugo. But there was just a few guys in the reserve rounds that a couple of guys I had marked, and they just none of them made it to me. Yeah, who Hayes went the pick before. When did Lugo go? Third yeah, pick third pick. He, yeah, he was very early in it. So, 
Yeah, but on the same note, you did, I mean, you still did, you got that, you still, you took Michael Massey in there, Luis Urias, I'm just scrolling down looking at your middle infielders, you did take, ooh, you took Christian Scott, that's a name I'm on my radar now, but um, I don't know, I thought you did all right in terms of the bats you took, and I mean, obviously your hope is you don't have to play him, but Ahmed Rosario, surely someone's going to pick him up. Like, I keep waiting with some of these guys. Like, there's some teams that need some middle infielders. Andrew and I have talked about a few of them, and I keep thinking Whit Merrifield's going to sign with one of them. But mm-hmm. Rosario's another name that's sitting out there. Now, that said, I feel like a lot of these free agent middle infielders like Whit, Rosario, Tim Anderson, they're almost playing like a game of chicken right now, and they could get mm-hmm. stuck holding the bag because there aren't a ton of spots out there. Somebody's Somebody needs, like... I don't know. I'd be maybe their goal is just sitting here waiting for spring training to begin and some injuries to happen. I don't know. Um, let's see. Circling back to mine and my team at the very end. What was I like with my team? I thought I was a little concerned about my power. That was the thing I thought I might be a little light on that I reached out when I was talking to Andrew about it because I took Luis Arise and a few like Jimenez. And Tommy Pham, Evan Carter, and I'm like, I might have taken a few too many of those like single digit guys, but you know, I did also get uh, Christian Walker, Machado, White Langford's one that's going to be Langford going to be the swing piece. Yeah, that's going to be a big one, and I kind of shot over him. What are your thoughts on Langford this year? You know, yeah, wide um, range. Yeah, I mean, basically, almost all these top prospects they they pay off these days because of the advanced scouting to proclaim them as as elite is is better than ever we have true data to back up why they'll succeed and based on how amazing Langford was in the minor leagues I see no reason why all that can't translate um so yeah I think he's going to be a, a wonderful wonderful player for you and uh, I've heard Bruce Bochy say that they're open to having him on the opening day roster and you know he's there's no reason for him to not be on that opening day roster. The DH spots wide open. They have Ezekiel Duran there now on roster resource, and mm. he's more of a floating bench guy from time to time. So they can have Langford, Carter, Adolis Garcia, um, and Leody Tavares kind of swapping around between different outfield spots in the DH, and Tavares can sit from time to time too. So I don't see any reason why Langford should be held back to open the year. Have you been seeking him out in redrafts at all? Um. You know, I, I do have one share of him. Um, he fell fairly late. Um, he fell to about the 13th round, which was late for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I did grab him there, but as far as where he goes, I just feel more trustworthy with the veterans. So um, I only have the one share. But in an online championship, 12-team league, I plan to do one of those. He's the perfect candidate for me to grab in that league. I've heard that guys like that really in those online championships really get moved up too, just because of the fact that, you know, you got transactions you can make and it just, it seems like they get more aggressive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, Let's see. So that was one thing I thought going into the, like in terms of my team and what I was thinking about, I'm very happy with my pitching. I was, I came out of that feeling good. I think the power was the thing I really wondered about. Langford will be a big swing for me. Um, going into the early part of the reserve rounds, one thing I had in mind, I, Matt Brash, since I took Munoz, and Matt Brash mm. did not go in the auction at all. And usually he goes in the first 20 rounds goes. of a draft. 
I would have desperately grabbed him up, but I already had the three relievers. Mm -hmm. That was the reason that I let him go where he did, because I would have grabbed him. I took a chance because I was at the end of the snake in that first round. I had the 12th pick, and that man, Mm -hmm. he was there, and I was immediately thinking I would do it. But I thought, well, I also took Wyatt Langford, and there's a risk of him or PCA not being on the team. Uh, to start mm-hmm. the year, so I, I really think I should get Brian De La Cruz just to get a guy, an outfielder I think I feel okay about. And I'm like, I'm going to take the chance that none of these three guys take brash. I'm not going to mess <laughs> around after that. And I played a game of chicken, and it worked. Man, I wanted him so bad. I just couldn't justify four relievers in the first, you know, 24, 25 rounds, you know. Mm-hmm. Andrew and I, I'm going to ask him this question when we talk about outfielders. So... Anybody that drafts PCA, I kind of feel like in the if you're in a draft and hold, like Mike Talkman seems oh, like a guy yeah. you need to draft because if yeah. yeah, like it just the per it's a perfect pairing if you can do that. So you agree with that? Yes, I agree with that 100. percent He's not very expensive, so it doesn't hurt you hardly. No, and that's really I mean everything else was just grabbing guys, <laughs> like grabbing guys to fill out. I we've talked plenty this off season about a lot of these draft and holds and reserve rounds and everything. So I really don't want to spend too much time going on it, but I think, I think for your roster though, I think getting Anthony Desclafani that late is good because he had the PRP injection to end his year. If he comes back healthy, he looks great because he's going to have four cupcake matchups in the AL central being on the powerhouse twins. Mm-hmm. And then as far as Colin Ray, uh, that's another guy that's, checks off boxes as a you know round 40 pitcher that that could be decent mm-hmm. so he's not not going to be you know a league winner or anything but a guy that you can use at pittsburgh you know maybe use him at home against like the marlins or the nationals i think colin ray is decent too i hope i hope those guys work out because one thing i think i did wrong in the reserve rounds mm-hmm. is because i felt like better about my pitching depth i think i did not take as many starting pitchers as aggressively early on like I've got Nicholas and I've got Wade Miley, Hurston Waldrop. I mean, Waldrop we don't even, swing we don't even know when he's going to be up. And I think I could, should have taken a few more starting pitchers. I just don't know. Like I've got too many questions. Like I feel like I could run out of starting pitchers on this team real easy. And that's not a good thing to be feeling. Even if none of them are hurt right now, it's, I just, I think I needed a few more. I think that's, I think that's the ultimate benefit of getting a brash, Put him in there if you don't like the matchups. Mm-hmm. Or just keep him in there at all times. Or Nick Anderson, he's kind of like Brash, too. Maybe even he gets that entire role out in Kansas City or the main share of it. A guy like uh, Andrew Kittredge in your second-to-last pick, I could see you using Kittredge two or three times, and when maybe you lose he your gives closer. you three innings. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, sometimes the guys that don't damage your ratios – and give you a few strikeouts. Those are those are sometimes more important than a Jordan Lyles or a Patrick Corbin. That was different for me. I do have more relievers than normal. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that that is something. So, well, I think that kind of circles up all my questions. Is there anything else you wanted? To, oh yeah, we actually didn't talk about favorite picks in the draft. That's in the auction. That's one thing we were going to do. Yes, I uh, I listed down favorite picks that I found and. Uh, I was I w- I just wanted to go over those. That was kind of my one idea I brought to the table. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I can go first, or you can go. Oh, you go first. You're the guest. So so on your team, you had three picks that I thought were phenomenal value. A ten dollar Moreno as a catcher who's going to have full time at bats 
plus ratios, a few steals, and hopefully 10-plus home runs. I thought that was great value. And then a $9 Swanson, I thought, was one of the better values on the board. Um, and then a $25 Pablo Lopez, I thought – I. You wouldn't believe how many times I debated twenty six on him and held off. So I was I thrilled was really to get him at yeah. that price. I've, oh yeah, I didn't pay attention to Pablo Lopez last year. I didn't have shares, and it wasn't until the beginning of the off season as I, like, when we did our Rotomasters draft and hold, and I read on, like, I looked into him, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this looks completely legit. Like, I really like him. He's mm-hmm. one of my favorite third round buys. Yep. And then looking at Chris Winder's team, he had two picks that I thought were electric value he had a he had two middle infielders he had a 24 dollars francisco lindor which that is a bargain yes and then he had a two dollar zach netto which is another bargain too yep that is another really good one yeah i'm i'm with you on both those um looking here at matt myers team um he had a three dollar anthony rizzo and an on-base percentage i thought that was fantastic agreed um, let's see here. I have the spreadsheet of the teams. I wrote down the players because I looked through each roster. Um, so I just wrote down the players, but I'm just looking at a spreadsheet to cross-reference who picked them. So Kando, he had a, he had a lot of good buys that um, I thought were worth mentioning. He had a $4 Edouard Julian, which yeah. I don't think he's going to go that cheap anymore because he's gotten a lot of publicity as far as what he is. Yeah, I think Scott Chu has really been talking him up. I saw on Twitter. Good point. That's true. Yeah, I did see that. He had a $4 Jack Sawinski, which I thought was a great buy. And then he mm-hmm. had a uh, he had a $1 Christopher Sanchez, which mm. again, another good buy, I think. Yep. He's a good pitcher. Yeah. He had a, he had a $1 John Means Kando. He had a $1 Stanton, a $1 Ryan Noda. If I'm having to spend a dollar, those are the, those are the kind of guys that I look at. So it was a good job by him. Well, I wish he that's why, yeah, we, I was hoping to get him on. He's got a busy schedule right now. Actually, he always has a busy schedule, but um, Kando is awesome at these auctions, and he knows how to play that Stars and Scrubs game. Yeah, he does. He's got a lot of experience. A new player to our auction universe, Joe Fain, seems hmm. like a great guy. He's uh, He's got a $30 Pete Alonzo. I'd mentioned that in the chat because it just felt like too good to be true like wow that's a great deal i thought 30 bucks for alonzo yeah he's i've got i made my notes of favorite ones he's definitely on that list for me he was actually the yes. first guy that, <laughs> that know, was incredible right? and interestingly enough joe um he actually got a cunha for 65 bucks and that's by far way more way higher than than the top players usually go so it'll be interesting in this auction as well as other auctions to see does the Acuna team have the ability to build a, a solid, well-rounded team spending that much cash on him? It'll be interesting. What's impressive is he only had three $1 players despite spending 65 bucks on Acuna. And still, that's a, and that's while dropping 42 on Tatis and 30 on Pete Alonso, and he still only had three $1 players. That's that's a great point. And the other buy that he had that I thought was great was Cole Reagans for 15 bucks. Maybe that's because I'm biased, but I thought that was pretty good. You're a big Reagans fan, huh? I am. Um, let's see here. So looking at Josh Coleman, really good player. He had a Byron Buxton for a dollar. I thought that was well worth the risk. That was on my list. That was on your list too? Yep. 
And I and we haven't seen each other's list, so this just makes it even more interesting. Let's see here. This is this is one where in a redraft league in the fourth, fifth round, I'm not super excited about this guy, but an OBP, which accentuates Nolan Jones even more. I thought $19 for Nolan Jones was a, a great value as well. That's a great price. I didn't write that down. I missed that one, but I agree. In, a, in an OBP, that really, he, he gets elevated. That was uh, Mike Cangiano, so that was a great buy there for Mike. And then let's see here. Nolte, he... uh him and I had some tough battles. He's he's a good player. He he had a twelve dollar Max Muncy. I had that one down. Value. Oh yeah, and I'm sure you had this next one on his team, a four dollar Nolan Gorman, which seems about four bucks too cheap. I had that one down. <laughs> <laughs> yep, great buys on both of those. Yeah, he'll be he'll be a uh, tough team in this league. Let's see here. Now Bo Bichette for twenty one bucks. I had that one down. One thing that I've seen in these leagues, whether it's Kingdom with the OBP or other OBP leagues, it seems like the leagues can overcorrect sometimes. And I think even though Bobachet's not an elite OBP guy, twenty-one bucks is way too low for the guy. Yes, I completely agree. I, I, let's see if I recall right. Let's see amongst shortstops in this OBP. If you go off Steamer projections, he's the fifth. Mm-hmm. He's fifth amongst shortstops, and yeah, that's a good price. I think auction dynamics played a role into that where people came out hot out of the gates. You know, we're sitting here day three. People have destroyed their budget and they don't have the uh, wherewithal to to spend anymore because they want to preserve a little bit of flexibility. I think that's why he went so cheap. Mm -hmm. Unless he went in the first day, which I'm just full of crap, but I would think he went in probably the second or third day. I would imagine you're right. Let me see if I can pull out and see exactly what number. Oh, yeah. You keep going and I'll see. Okay. Let's go back to my notes here. And then as far as Suzuki for the Cubs, he went for only 15 bucks to Brian Vaughn. So that was a great buy, I thought. <clears throat> Especially in an on-base percentage where I think he gives a little bit of a bump to. And then as far as you had mentioned price enforcing, I price enforced on Steve Trapani quite a bit because I wanted Strider or Cole so badly in this league. And I bumped up Strider from 36 all the way to 45. And I, I debated going 46, but I decided against it just because I figured if there was a value that came down the pike, I wanted to have options, you know. And uh, I bumped up Cole all the way to 41 for Steve. And Steve has Strider for 45, Cole for 41. He spent uh, 20 more bucks on Blake Snell. And then I thought one of his best values was Joe Ryan for 14 bucks, a potential 200 strikeout guy. Uh, in a great division, good team context. I thought that was good. But, yeah, Steve uh, Steve went very extreme with the heavy, heavy, heavy pitching. Which is spent... not abnormal for him. No, that is it would be abnormal if he didn't do that. And uh, he spent $40 on Freeman and 32 bucks on Corey Seager. So he basically went very, very, very cheap in about, let's see here. 11 $1 players. 11 $1 just players. reading it, and that's... That's what we were talking about before. If you go if you go heavy and you don't <laughs> hold back, that's where you end up with. So he's got a heck of a staff. I'm really going to be curious to see what his offense looks like this year with with how it looks at the end because he did. I mean, his entire outfield is five dollars. Yeah, five dollars <laughs> for five outfielders. That's like NL only style, I think. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and interestingly enough, you know, you usually see rounds thirty through fifty. Usually you see an SP that pops there 
last year you saw Tanner Bybee. Last year you saw uh, Gavin Williams. Steve will be looking for a position player that pops there. Maybe it's a Victor Scott. Maybe it's a Chase DeLauder. So he'll be looking for the opposite in his in his build, in my opinion. Yeah, he will. He also took Tyler Black. That's one that could hit for him. True. That's the, one of his big guys this year, he told me. Yep. Big guy. Yep, that's very possible. And then my last team that I have to uh, go over here, and, and if I didn't mention your team, it, it wasn't anything personal. You did. I was just, just trying to go through uh, – just trying to kind of go through everyone's rosters and look for some pickups that I liked here. Uh, I thought Ambrose, Derek Ambrose did a phenomenal job with his pitching pickups. He got $17 Bobby Miller, $17 Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, those are phenomenal buys, I think. And then he got an even better buy, I think, with a $14 Kyle Bradish and a $4 Bryce Miller. Yeah, he also got he also got discounts on his closers. Closers, closer as well with the twelve dollar Clay Holmes and with uh, Josh Hader settling in uh, in Houston. I think that looks ten times better now. Yep. Just more safety. Yes, that that's why I think a lot of people had that yes. question there. True, and it definitely worked out for him there. So yeah, I think he did a good job on the pitching. Well, this is just like you, Lucas, to bring up every single team in a good pick because you are the nicest human being in the in the world. Um, let's <laughs> see. Um, I'm not going to repeat on the ones you mentioned. Royce Lewis, I actually didn't even write out down who who got him, but he, he went for $15. I've been against Royce Lewis's ADP. Like I've said, I'm not really interested, but that's a that's a pretty steep discount from where, like, I, I took Manny Machado for $17, and Royce Lewis went for 15 And that's a pretty good discount to where I like, I really like that price. Uh, Jackson Holiday went for 3 bucks. I didn't that know. was John. That was John Wynn that got Royce for fifteen bucks. Okay, that was a great pick. I thought. I agree. Jackson Holiday went for three. I think that was a good price. Mm-hmm. Derek Ambrose he got Vinny Pascantino for eight dollars. I really like Pascantino. I thought that was a good, especially in an on base percentage league that moves him up. Lucas, you took eight dollar Nemo, Brandon Nemo. That was one of mine that I really like. Just he's so good in on base percentage leagues. He was a guy I had planned out from the beginning of the draft, too. Understand why. <laughs> Understand not, not why. Too, not too tricky with him. Starling Marte for 6 bucks with Ambrose. I like Marte. I think I, I like him for a rebound. Gavin Williams, who I mentioned earlier, John Nguyen got him for $7. I That's would, a good deal. Like, I wish I had waited and just tried getting him, but I also didn't want to get left holding the bag, spending more on reliever or on pitchers than I wanted to, so that's why I did it. But like guys like that and Chris Winder getting Brian Wu for five bucks, that was another one of my targets that he went after I had already filled my rotation. Winder also got a four dollar junior Caminero. I think that could be a huge. And he got a he got Chris Paddock for a buck as well as Luis Severino for two dollars. So those are great. If one one of those two hits, uh, your money. Yep, Parker Meadows for a buck. I think that's a good one. Lucas, you getting Matt Walner for a dollar? I think that's a great pit. Like that's a great one dollar buy. I don't know. You must you must have been all the way filled up. I was. I, don't, I was going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the frustrating thing sometimes about auctions. Yes, when you spread out your money and you're a little careful. Like I, I, and I'm okay. I like I like my five sure. outfielders just fine, but I do like Matt Walner. And if I could have got him for a buck, yes, yeah, sign me up. And then a one. Maybe Maybe that would give more benefit to a guy like a Mookie Betts where you can just pick and choose in the auction what you need. I know people with Otani, 
they've grabbed him up and moved him from offense or pitching based on what they want to purchase. Mm-hmm. That is so. that is something I hadn't even thought about whenever we were doing this auction. The guy who took Otani, I don't remember who it was, asked that question. I'm like, well, that's a good point. Yeah, you can put him wherever. <laughs> yeah. Draft you could if you wanted to have an extra bat. Basically, you just stick him in a in a pitching slot, and boom, you got an extra bat. Okay, um, I think that's really that closes this up pretty good. What are you going to be spending the rest of the off season doing on the writing end, or just you know we got another two months before the season starts? Yeah, that's a good question. It seems like this off season has been a little different i guess i mean it's kind of gone slow but we still have a few more months i don't know it's it's interesting we've at least had quite a bit of news to chew through from time to time um but yeah i'm still going to continue working on my articles with ftn um i'm doing sink your battleship right now where i'm just looking at players that i think just invite risk onto your roster that you don't need to bring on so i've got one of those dropping out tomorrow um which means by the time this posts, it's already up, by the way. Yeah, it'll be up. So that'll be interesting. Um, so it's already mm-hmm. posted. Can you? Will you give one since it's already up? Or am I asking something and you'd here. rather wait? No, I, I wrote all these players up before we started. I've got a... Let's see here. I've got seven players in this article. Do you want a pitcher or a hitter, I guess? <laughs> I'll take a hitter. All right. I have uh, Parker Meadows on <laughs> who I just said was a great pick. <laughs> yeah. So I, I laid out my reasons. I, and again, whenever I write these articles, I, I try to lay out the positives to begin with, because there's a reason these players are going so high. So I try to look at both sides of it. But um, for me, just not a guy I'm, I'm paying the full freight for, for me personally. Okay. Well, there we go. And they can get, catch that on FTN. Like is, you said, that's on FTN. Yeah. That's over on FTN fantasy. Okay. Well, everybody needs to go check that out. I need to also, I guess, by the time this posts, it'll be up. So something to do. Well, um, then you got Dynasty Leagues. I'm assuming you you did say you're doing the Draft Champions Auction League again, right? You, I think you're probably obligated to do that. Yeah, I'm signed up for two right now. Um, two auctions? Two of the online auctions. Oh, fun. Yeah, so I might drop one. I might keep, keep just the one, but... Um, yeah, I've signed up for, for a handful of leagues. I've got an online championship coming up. I've got my first ever $400 DC coming up, and that'll be interesting. A lot more kind of adrenaline, I guess, because it's a bigger price. And I've got a few other leagues lined up, so yeah. Yep, and hopefully you'll end up killing it again and just continue making a name for yourself. We're we're all rooting for you. You're a, you're a good player, and you're an even better person, Lucas. I always love it when we get you on. You're always awesome for this stuff. So thank you for your time. Don't forget us little people whenever you <laughs> become a big deal. And uh, I think also I have to mention that I joined in uh, Rotomasters 3 this weekend. So, you know, now uh, now Ryan can't give me any crap for not bringing up Rotomasters. Well, so you, I can at least check off that box. Well, you did Rotomasters 3, and nobody really cares about that one. Rotomasters 2 <laughs> is the one that we all care about, and it's the Elite League. Yes, that's the one I'm in. That is <laughs> so. true. All facts detected there. Okay. Well, thank you again. Um, as as we've posted this episode, Andrew and I, we're going to be back in a few days, and we're going to get started on the outfield preview, where who knows how many episodes that's going to take to cover them all. Jeez, there's a lot of outfielders, Aunt Lucas. 
There are a lot of outfielders. <laughs> I would say at least three episodes. It's but, always uh, been yeah. at least three, and with how in depth we're going, it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being four. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. So we got plenty of content coming in the next few weeks over that. I can't wait till you guys do your pitching episodes. That's oh. always the topic where it seems like people can differentiate their opinion more than any other position on the pitching side. Completely agree. I think Andrew yep. and I will get more 365 wagers and disagreements on pitching than anything else because it just seems to have such a wider ver- variance of outcomes. Hitters sure. hitters are seem to be a little more predictable. And you Good can point. look you can look at like steamer projections and a lot of times it's like, yeah, that sounds like it's about the right area. And pitchers, no. It can be it, it just seems like it can be way off. Most time is. I think the fact that uh, last year you kind of came into the season and scrambled, you know, two, three months to get to get your prep in. I think the fact that you've had a full season to get your feet wet and then a full off season to kind of get everything prepped. I'm curious to hear you've already got, you know, guys like Cutter Crawford and, uh, you know, Pablo Lopez is some of your, your big arms. I'm curious to hear some of the rest of them. And I don't, I'd never asked you, but are you going to be joining into any NFBC leagues or anything as far as this coming year? I might. I might. I have. I. I said I was going to do one this off season, so I need yeah, to follow through. And I probably need. And I probably will have to wait till March to do it because got draft and holds. Got a um, like the three sixty five leagues starting up the next few weeks, and I've got this dynasty startup that I decided to join that I'm halfway through right now. And I want. And so after all that's done, though, I'm pretty clear. So I probably will get in something. What I don't know yet, but I'd rather it be a draft and hold, but. I don't know. Maybe I'll change my mind and actually get him one of these where you got to, you know, where you more transactions. I, I have not made a decision, but I'll, I'll get in something in March. I think even if, even if it's your first year on NFBC and you're going against guys with 10, 15 plus years experience, they have a better chance than you. Cause you can't oh, yeah, for sure. have a substitution for experience. But if you're looking at this thing and you're like, man, I have a chance. That's a cool feeling. It would be fun. It would be really cool. I highly recommend it for anyone that hasn't tried NFBC. I know they had their, you know, cheating scandal. And that was, in my mind, just one rogue employee that made some horrible decisions. But I think these guys are going to be, you know, back to normal. And Greg and Tom have 20 years of integrity they've proven. So I have no issues playing NFBC. And I encourage anyone else who wants to up their fantasy baseball play to check it out. I'm glad you brought that up because I completely agree with you. It was a very unfortunate set of events. You know, very unfortunate. the thing I've compared it to, and you're an NBA guy, so you might, yeah. like, I remember, I think it was the Western Conference Finals, like, 20, 22 years ago. It was the Kings and the Lakers, and it come to find out a year later that there was the referee that had, had he, he had some sort of thing to where he was taking money or something. Maybe not, like, he was cheating, I think was pretty much. Do you remember this? Yeah, I, I do remember it a little bit. It, yeah, but it was a rogue deal. It was one of those deals that doesn't take the integrity away from the NBA. It's just nope. one of those unfortunate things that happens when you have employees. Sometimes something like that happens, and it sounds like NFBC is doing what they need to to put checks in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. And and other and other websites in my mind will be following suit to put those same checks in. And yep, they're lucky they didn't get caught with it because it could be anyone that just hired someone in and they, they just had problems and made horrible decisions. Not that it justifies it, but I'm just saying what happened. Yep. Yep. 
So yeah, I'm going to try to get in an NFBC with this year. I'm, I hadn't really, I've thought about it a little bit the last few weeks, but I hadn't really made that decision. Yeah, I'll do that. There's also been one of the employees from the NFBC named Jeffrey Stein. He's been working in the fantasy industry for over 20 years mm-hmm. over at a MFL, my And he joined to replace that rogue employee on NFBC. And he's come out and he said that he sees nothing but positive signs for NFC. And he wouldn't have taken that job if he felt like it, this company had risk to go under yeah. again. We'll have to wait till the, uh, the investigation's over with but it seems like there's a lot of very positive signs and i just wanted to mention that i'm glad you're getting that out there and i hope uh, i hope that that continues just getting out there because yeah they've done a lot of good for this industry out there Mm -hmm. for a lot of people they've they've yeah it's it's good stuff so all right well thanks everybody for listening lucas thank you again for coming on and until next time take care everybody Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 